Most of us have experienced uh, walking into maybe a school program or a church service and you sit down and you maybe look forward in the congregation and you see, you see the back or the side of someone and you think, oh, that's, you, you think you know who it is. And uh, later they turn their face and you get a, a look at their face and you realize you were wrong or you were right. And what happens is that a, a person's face tends to positively identify us. If, uh, I would, if I were to bring a young boy or girl up here this morning on the platform and, and all you would see is from their shoulders down, you would, uh, you may, maybe you would be able to guess who it is, but you wouldn't know for sure until you see their face and suddenly it's like, okay, you know exactly who it is and there's no questions about it. This morning, the message that I'd like to share is a message topic that pertains to every one of us, and it's about forgiveness. And I've entitled the message, The Face of Forgiveness. If we're honest with ourselves, each one of us has struggled at times to forgive. Uh, and if we all have received forgiveness from others, we stand in great need of it. And we've been forgiven many times, and we've had to forgive others many times. At times, we may have thought we've forgiven somebody, and then later, maybe others or we ourselves questioned, have we really forgiven them? So we want to think this morning about what forgiveness really looks like, the face of forgiveness, positively identifying forgiveness. For Christians, it's actually a life and death issue. It's something that we need to get right. Uh... There's a lot of talk right now with the pandemic about it being a silent killer. And I believe that unforgiveness is a killer to a, to a Christian. And it's something that is so important we really need to get it right. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to start with the, the last verse of my text this morning because it's the, the verse that stood out to me some months ago in reading through this. And where I, the message was birthed from, so to speak. Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 35, the scripture says this. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And the, I believe the, the key words in this verse are, uh, from your hearts. And it's what I want to think about this morning. I believe this verse implies that it's possible to forgive somebody with your lips. Uh, it's possible to say, yeah, I forgive you. And, and really, from your heart, it has not happened. And we want, to, we want to focus on that this morning and think about this. What does it look like when somebody forgives someone from their heart? I, over the course of my life, I've known and know of different situations where Christians have carried, professing Christians have carried grudges with them through, through life, uh, towards other people. Sometimes children towards their parents or parents towards their children, siblings, uh, church, uh, family or friends or neighbors, etc. And I believe it's a very devastating thing. It's a very ugly thing, and distance and times and time many times does not cure it. 
but it's something that just drags on and on. We're in Matthew chapter 18. Let's just go back to verse 7 and notice what Jesus says about offenses. He says in, in chapter 18, verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And so the truth is that we all have offended others, and it's also true that others have offended us. It's inevitable. It does happen. And it has happened in the past, and it's going to happen in the future, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. Uh, one of the things that I've discovered in life that, that it, it's very, very apt to happen to us as humans that, that we can feel so offended in some area and, and hold a grudge about something perhaps and discover later that, uh, that we were only assuming something and what we were, it wasn't even true. The person had no such thought when they said what they said or did what they did and it was totally, uh, bogus. We, we had no right to be offended by what happened. We were simply assuming something. And so we need to be careful of that. This verse does, uh, it stresses very, uh, it's very serious to offend another and we should do our best not to offend others. And at the same time, it makes it very clear that offenses do happen and they will happen and we must be prepared for that. Let's, we're in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, this is a picture of us and, and, uh, and it just, as I read through this, I, I see myself in it and it, it talks about offenses and it talks about the importance of forgiving others. And so I'd like to read verses 23 and 24. Matthew 18 verses 23 and 24 paints a picture of our inability to make atonement for our own sin nature. Scripture says this, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Now my Bible says that 10,000 talents would be equal to $52 million, which is an awful lot of money, more money than, than any of us would be able to repay, and just a, a huge sum of money. And this is just a, a picture of our uh, sin nature and our inability to repay. There, there's no way that we could make atonement for the sin nature which we were born with. It's a very serious uh, condition, impossible to repay. We read on in verses 25 through 27. It says, But for so much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. What an incredible story. And here here we have uh, the the king just simply loosing him of, of all his debt. He knelt down, begged for forgiveness, begged for compassion, and he received the compassion that he was looking for. And his, his debt was totally removed. What a God. What a salvation. What freedom. What liberty we have. Imagine having a, a mortgage on your home 
and maybe it's a 25-year mortgage, a 20-year mortgage, and you're every month this mortgage is due, you're, the payment is due, you're making this payment. And after a few years, uh, you, you, uh, you mail in your payment to the bank, or maybe you get a letter from the bank and saying, hey, it's been paid in full. Everything's taken care of. You don't owe anything anymore. The house is yours. Can you imagine the feeling you would get from that? It would be, it would be incredible. Well, that's just a small, small illustration or picture of what this individual was experiencing here. 52 million, totally forgiven. And it's a, it gives us a glimpse of what you and I experience spiritually when we, unable to make atonement for our sin, came to the Lord Jesus and he forgave us all. Everything forgiven. This is a, a picture of true forgiveness from the heart. You know, this king, he could have said to the servant, he could have said, okay, 52 million, there's no way. You're uh, 25 years old. There's no way you could ever repay this in your lifetime. But, you know, I think you could repay 500,000. And so I'm going to set this thing up in payments and uh, you better make every payment. This is a serious thing. And and he could have... Uh, he could have held that servant to a degree of bondage that he didn't do. He totally released him. And that is, is a picture of our God and how he totally released you and I. And it's an incredible thing, and it's something to be so thankful for. This servant uh, could have worked the next 40 or 50 years to, to pay a smaller amount off, but no, totally release. This is a picture of forgiveness from the heart. Another thing we could ask about this servant, we could we could ask the question, did he deserve to be for, forgiven? Uh, I don't we don't know the story, we don't know all the details, but I can only imagine if he owned if he owed fifty two million dollars, I can only imagine that he was lazy. I can only imagine that he mismanaged his money. I can only imagine that he took risks with it. Maybe he gambled Maybe he, I can only imagine there was so much mismanagement. He did not deserve to be forgiven. And yet, he was forgiven. And that's you and I, a picture of us being forgiven from our uh, sinfulness and our sin nature. True forgiveness. Are you and I capable of this kind of forgiveness to others? Yes, we are partakers of the divine nature we can also uh, be forgiven and forgive others. I was—I mentioned earlier a lot of negative stories that I could tell about uh, people that did not forgive, uh, brothers who, who died having not talked to some of their siblings all, for many, many years and those types of things, awful stories about unforgiveness. I've chosen this morning to read a story about somebody who forgave from the heart it's a true story. It's a story that uh, perhaps you heard before. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's a local story. It's a story that happened back uh, during the, the revolutionary era when our, the founding of the country of America. And it's, it's just an amazing story about somebody who was able to forgive from the heart. And it, it gives us a picture of what it looks like when somebody truly forgives. I think it's a story that children should find very interesting, so follow along as I, as I read this story. 
It's about two men, Peter Miller and Michael Whitman. Peter Miller was a minister in the German Reformed Church, and he came to America in 1730, and he served as a pastor at the Bethany Reformed Church near Ephrata, Pennsylvania. He later withdrew from the German Reformed Church and joined the Baptist at Ephrata and became their pastor. He lived and served there during the American Revolutionary War. Peter knew many people and was widely known. He enjoyed the personal acquaintance of General George Washington, who had visited the Ephrata area and also the cloister during the war. Peter was talented and a highly educated man. At the request of Thomas Thomas Jefferson, he later translated the Declaration of Independence into seven foreign languages. Now, Michael Whitman also resided in the Ephrata area, and he was a deacon in the German Reformed Church, the church that Peter Miller had withdrew from earlier, and it had angered Whitman, who now secured a very undesirable reputation for his abuse of Miller and the Baptists. On one occasion, he struck Peter in the face, and on another occasion, he spit in Peter's face. Miller endured it all with a Christian fortitude. He never spoke a cross word to or against Whitman for his shameful conduct. At that time, there were only about 10 houses in the present borough, what we know as the present borough of Ephrata. Hard to imagine. But the town at that time had two hotels, and Whitman operated one of those hotels. On a cold winter evening, two men came into Whitman's hotel for supper and a room for the night. He was ignorant of the identity of his guests, and he was an outspoken Tory often sharing his views in regards to the war and speaking freely in favor of the British. These two men just so happened to be American spies. Whitman entered into the dining room where the men were eating their evening meal. He sat on the windowsill and began to express his opinions. After listening for a while, the men sprang up and said, we have to arrest you for treason to the American cause. Whitman escaped through the window and fled, but a few days later was famished from cold and hunger, and he surrendered. surrendered. He was taken to General Washington, tried for treason, and found guilty and sentenced to be hung. After the death sentence was passed, Peter Miller arose early in the morning, took his cane, and set out on foot through the snow to visit General Washington at Valley Forge to intercede for the life of Whitman. He was told that his request for his friend could not be granted. Peter responded, My friend, I have not a worse enemy living than this man. What? responded George Washington. You have walked 60 miles to save the life of your worst enemy. That puts this matter in a totally different light. I will grant you his pardon. The pardon was written and signed by General Washington and handed to Miller who at once set out for Westchester, 15 miles away, where the execution was to take place later that day. He arrived just as Whitman was being carried to the scaffold to be hung. Whitman noticed Miller in the crowd and made this remark. There is old Peter Miller. He has walked all the way from Ephrata to have his revenge gratified today by seeing me hung. These words were scarcely spoken when Miller waved the pardon from General George Washington 
and commanded the execution to be halted. After the pardon was verified, it is said that they embraced each other and walked back to Ephrata together, where he was restored to his family. Although Whitman's life was spared, his property was all confiscated and sold on March 15, 1780. Whitman remained close friends with Peter, but did not remain in the Ephrata area very long, but rather relocated with his family uh, out west. Peter Miller's noble act lives enshrined in many of the hearts and minds of the people in the Ephrata area. Peter Miller died at the age of 86 and is buried in the Ephrata area. That is a, a true story and is a beautiful picture of somebody who truly was able to forgive from the heart and go to such extremes to save the life of somebody who had mistreated him in so many ways. Forgiveness from the heart is a God thing. Forgiveness is the most God-like act that a Christian can do. And I need to repeat that. I need to emphasize that. And I want, to, I want you to remember this. Forgiveness is the most godlike act that a Christian can do. Never are we more like God than when we forgive someone else. What do we mean by forgiveness? Forgiveness is when we, when we verbally declare it, uh, when we personally promise it, a statement of undeserved, unearned love that affirms that even though I have been offended, there is no anger, no hatred, no desire for vengeance, no bitterness, no retaliation. There is no blame held. That is forgiveness from the heart. We have, or I have personally buried the hatchet. When you, you know the term bury the hatchet is a, it's a very interesting term. And it's a term that, uh, if you, if you go on the internet and Google it, why you'll, a lot of Indian stories will come up. And apparently it happened among the Native Americans. And one of the stories is about four tribes that were constantly fighting each other. And there was this thing where uh, if somebody was killed, somebody from one tribe would go over and take the scalp of somebody else in another tribe, why they would retaliate and go back. And this thing kept going and going. And finally the chiefs from all four tribes got together and they said, let's bury the hatchet so this thing can stop. And so they literally dug a hole and buried their hatchets. And that is what it means to, to bury the hatchet. And this is a characteristic that belongs to God. He is a God of forgiveness, and he truly buries the hatchet. And it, it's something that is, is very, very beautiful about Christianity. I was a few weeks ago... Uh, my winter Bible school topic, Marion and I were up at uh, Lock Haven, and it was shortly after uh, Sasha Krause's family had been found in Arizona, and it was came up in our prayer time, it came up as a prayer request to pray for Sasha and her family, and during this difficult time, and the lady that, br that brought up the prayer request also mentioned, and let's pray for the, the person or people who killed Sasha, let's pray for their salvation. And I was just moved as we, as we prayed for the salvation of these people that we don't even know. Was it one? Was it more? Exactly what transpired? 
but the Christian's heart just yearning for them to experience the salvation that we, that you and I experience. And, and that is the heart of the Christian. Another, we look at this story in Matthew 18 and we can ask the question, did the king forget about it? Oftentimes when it comes to forgiveness, we say forgive and forget. And we want to think a little bit this morning about the possibility of that. Is that possible? Did this king forgive and forget? Um, is it, is it, uh, is that phrase realistic? Is it scriptural? Let me read a few verses to you. You need not turn to them, but a few verses that are very familiar to us. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Hebrews ten seventeen, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And Psalms 103 talks about forgiving our sins as far as the east is from the west, uh, a very a verse that is often used and, and quoted about the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 8.12 uh, also says, uh, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Micah 7.19, the latter part of that verse says, talks about casting our sins into the depths of the sea. And Hebrews 10.16 and 17 also talks about our sins and iniquities and, and that God will remember them no more. I think it's important to understand something, and that is that you, if you study the word remember in Hebrew and in Greek, the, the, actually the root word back in Hebrew means to be mindful of or to bring remembrance to or to mention. Be mindful of, bring remembrance to, or mention. So I like to read Isaiah 43 using those words. Then it would read this way. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not be mindful of or mention them again. That, I believe, is a, is a scriptural understanding of forgiving and what it means to forgive from the heart. For God to totally forget is to remove his omnipotence, which is impossible to do. God is all-knowing, and uh, he's, he's, he does remember. And this actually, this very story here in Matthew 18 brings out the, the truth that he did remember. We're made in his image, and we tend to remember, and it's okay. We can forgive from the heart, and we still remember the hurt and the pain but we're not mindful of it. We're not dwelling on it in our minds. We've released the person. We've buried the hatchet. We're not mentioning it. We're not casting it in their face, and we're not mentioning it to other people. But we do remember. We all, another saying we often hear is that time heals and helps us to forget. And that, there's, that is true to a degree. And at the same time, when I think back in my life, and I, th- I think of, of physical pain, and I believe it holds true within the area of, of offenses also. Uh, over the course of my life, I've had so many injuries, uh, wounds and stitches and splinters and, and you name it, and I forget 90% of them. 
And I couldn't even, I, I, I don't even recall them because they were small. And so I believe it's the same with small offenses. And what, they're easy to forget and to move on. And, and after a few months or years, you don't even, I don't even remember them anymore. But when it comes to the larger things, uh, there's a few times I had a, I had two serious falls in my life and the, where the pain lasted for a year, a year and a half. And where, and, and it's, it's very vivid in my mind today. It's, it's maybe diminished a little bit, the remembering it, but it's still there and will no doubt stay with me the rest of my life because it was so dramatic and so painful. And so I believe it's true when we are offended in a large way, it, it's there. It may diminish to a degree, but it's there. We remember it and it's okay, but we can forgive from the heart. We can move on from it. And, uh, and we're, we're not holding the person, uh, we're not holding a grudge. We have truly forgiven, but the, the memory of it remains. We are made in God's image, and I believe God remembers, and I believe it's, it's okay if we do as well. It's, it's uh, different than acknowledging the hurt that we may still feel. We're not mentioning it, but the hurt is still there. I'd like to read a few more verses here. In, in, we're in Matthew 18, verses 28 through 30. It says, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Here we have the tendency of the human heart is revealed. And this is a very dangerous tendency. It's a tendency that you and I have. God forgave us of everything. He released us from everything. We didn't deserve it. And the tendency, our tendency is to take someone else who owes, who has this little offense uh, against us and hold them responsible and, uh, and hold a grudge against them and be unforgiving towards them as this servant did here. He was forgiven some $52 million and my Bible in the footnote says uh, somebody owed him $44 and he had him thrown in prison because of it. How horrible. He was unforgiving and... This is something that is, is awful, and we want to make sure that we don't do it. Verse 31 says, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Now, another thing I want to, from this verse, a point I want to make is, we as Christians, if we are unforgiving and we refuse to forgive somebody, our neighbors society, our church family, it's noticeable. People know it. People, it, it is detectable. When somebody is holding an unforgiving spirit, it is detectable. And people know it. And here we have people going to the king and saying, look at what you did to him. And now look at what he's doing to this other poor guy that owes him such a small amount of money. How tragic and in verses 32 through 35, we have this unforgiveness called into account. 
And the scripture tells us the story. In verse 32, it says, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered into the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. And just a a tragic picture of a person, of of a born-again believer, who is unwilling to forgive somebody. It is so tragic. And verse 35 makes it so clear. says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So this is something that in our Christian lives, we want to have it right. We want to, we want to make sure that we're forgiving from the heart and that we're not holding uh, bitterness towards anybody and, and having an unforgiving spirit or, or expressing with our mouth, oh yeah, yeah, I forgive you. And in our heart, we haven't truly forgiven them. I would like to close the message this morning with some lessons from the cross. I believe that Jesus dying on the cross, if we, if we uh, notice some of the things that he said, it, it just, it gives us some lessons on what it really means to be forgiving. And the first one I want to notice is Matthew 27 and verse 46. Matthew 27 verse 46 says, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, uh, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here Jesus is, on the cross, and he's, he's crying out to his father, and he's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's, uh, when, when we are offended in life, most times it is painful. It may seem very unfair to us to be in the situation we are in, but there's one thing we must always reckon with, and that is that God has allowed me to experience this. God has allowed it to happen. God has allowed me to be offended. God has allowed me to be hurt. It doesn't mean that I deserve it. It does not mean that, uh, that, that God, that it was his desire that this happened, but God allowed it to happen. Jesus, in the situation he was in here, he was without sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. He, des- he deserved none of this. But it, it had all passed through the hands of the Father. And God was allowing this to happen so that mankind could experience salvation. And so the, the lesson and the point that we need to take from this is there is nothing that you and I face in life, no hurt, no offense, that God is not aware of it, that God has not allowed it to happen. He has allowed us to experience this and that we have the grace in this situation I find myself in to be Christ-like and to forgive as Jesus did. Another thing that Jesus said on the cross was, it's recorded in a few of the Gospels, Jesus said, I thirst. 
He was, Jesus was verbally, he was verbalizing the fact that he was hurting. I thirst. I'm in pain. I'm in agony. I thirst. And so I believe it's, it's important for us to know that in times of offenses, it's, it's okay for us to acknowledge the pain we're experiencing. That we can acknowledge the pain we're experiencing and at the same time, from the depths of our heart, we can forgive the individual. Jesus in, in John 19, or in, uh, in, in Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so while he's experienced this, experiencing all of this, the hurt, he's verbally, verbally saying, I forgive them and, uh, and, and not wanting any uh, kind of retaliation against them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And then another important thing is in John 19. And something happened there that is that's, that's so amazing. Jesus is, is giving his life on the cross. He's, he's in agony. He's in great agony. He's, and he's admitting that. He's, he's acknowledging the pain that he's, that he's experiencing. And he's, he's crying out to his father during this time. But there he, he, focus, he is focusing on his mother and on his disciple John. He points to his mother and, uh, and, and, and says, uh, or points to his mother and says, says to John, it's your mom, take care of her. And, uh, and he, he's concerned about the well-being of his mother during this time and asks John to care for his mother. And I believe there's something so important we can take from that when it comes to forgiveness. And that is that in the midst of Jesus' suffering, and, and as he's suffering, he's forgiving from his heart the people that are doing this to him. But he, he was, I believe the key that to all of this was that he was focusing on the well-being of others. He's focusing on his mother. He's focusing on his disciples. He's not focusing on himself. He did not, uh, he did not take upon himself the victim mentality. And that's what you and I are so, so apt, so quick to do many times. We're so quick to say, I'm a victim in all this. I'm the victim here. And, and when we, when I take on a victim mentality, I'm focusing on myself rather than focusing on God, focusing on others, even focusing on the people who are doing this to me, praying for them and focusing on my loved ones, uh, as Jesus was doing. What a model Jesus gave, gave for us in, in teaching us how to forgive other people. And this can, I cannot stress this enough at a time when, when it, when it's our turn to forgive others that we don't take on a victim mentality, but that we're concerned about others. And I believe we know if we, if you're taking on a victim mentality, you're, you're focused on yourself and you're thinking about yourself and you're not thinking about others. Think about others and uh and don't take on a victim mentality jesus was or joseph was such a great example of this his brothers sold him into slavery into egypt and he's just a great example of correct thinking and of forgiveness you read through the account of joseph and it's just amazing how joseph says to his brothers yeah you meant this for evil but god meant it for good 
that great offense against Joseph. And so if you and I, brothers and sisters, can have that kind of a mentality all the time as we experience offenses that we can readily forgive from our hearts and know and understand that, yes, this was painful, and and we can acknowledge that, but we can forgive from our hearts and know that God has allowed this to happen, that His grace is sufficient, and then ultimately be thankful that we have the divine nature residing within us and that we, like God, have the ability to forgive others from the heart. So let's do that and uh, let's continue to forgive each other from the hearts. And that is, is just a, such a vital part of true Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, your scriptures and I thank you for this account, Matthew 18. Lord, help us to be God-like every day of our lives. We know that we've offended others. We know that offenses will come. And we know that they can hurt really bad. We believe, Lord, that uh, you have given us the divine nature and we have the ability to forgive others and help us to do that as you modeled so beautifully there on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And we just thank you that we have the ability to do that. And Lord, I believe that's one of the key ingredients of true Christianity and it's, it's one of the things that makes Christianity so beautiful and that we can get along with one another, love one another, cherish one another in our families, in our church life is because we readily forgive one another and help us to also remember uh, how important it is to not offend others and to do our best not to offend others, but to be ready to forgive when uh, the opportunity is presented to us. Thank you for each one and just ask that you would help us to examine our hearts and lives and make sure that we have truly forgiven each other from the bottom of our hearts and not simply from our lips. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.